Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. The reading for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 to 11. I will be reading in German. The English translation is up on the screen. Unterwegs sah Jesus einen Mann, der von Geburt an blind war. Rabbe fragten die Jünger, wer ist schuld daran, dass dieser Mann blind ist? Hat er selbst Schuld auf sich geladen oder seine Eltern? Weder noch, antwortet Jesus. Vielmehr soll an ihm die Macht Gottes sichtbar werden. Solange es Tag ist, müssen wir die Taten Gottes vollbringen, der mich gesandt hat. Bald kommt die Nacht, in der niemand mehr etwas tun kann. Doch solange ich in der Welt bin, werde ich für die Menschen das Licht sein. Dann spuckte er auf die Erde, rührte mit dem Speichel einen Brei an und strich ihn auf die Augen des Blinden. Dann forderte er ihn auf, geh jetzt zum Teich Siloa und wasch dich dort. Siloa heißt übersetzt der Gestande. Der Blinde ging hin, wusch sich und als er zurückkam, konnte er sehen. Seine Nachbarn und andere Leute, die ihn als blinden Bettler kannten, fragten erstaunt: Ist das nicht der Mann, das immer an der Straße saß und bettelte? Einige meinten, er ist es. Aber andere konnten es einfach nicht glauben und behaupten, das ist unmöglich. Er sieht ihm nur sehr ähnlich. Doch es, ich bin es, bestätigte der Mann selbst. Da fragten sie ihn, wie kommt es, dass du plötzlich sehen kannst? Er berichtete, der Mann, der Jesus heißt, machte einen Brei und strich ihn auf meine Augen. Dann schickte er mich zum Teich Siloa. Dort sollte ich den Brei abwaschen. Das habe ich getan und jetzt kann ich sehen. Wo ist denn dieser Jesus? fragten sie weiter. Das weiß ich nicht, gab er ihnen zur Antwort. This is God's word. Please be seated. As you're finding your seat, I'm going to dismiss preschool right now. Preschool is headed where? Parlor? Parlor. So you're going to go through these back doors in that direction if you have a preschooler. Thank you. Good morning, welcome to Trinity City Church. My name is Charlie. I am one of the elders here. Um, let's open up in prayer. Father, we're, I'm speaking on a difficult topic today and it's a sensitive topic. Um, please give me wisdom, make my words come out smoother than they otherwise would. I know that I'm going to say some things more clumsily than I would like. And God, I just ask that you would, you would cover that up, you would clean that up a bit, that, um, that your 
your word, your love for people would really get through in this. God, we ask that you would bring um, emotional, relational, psychological healing to people who deal with disabilities or other difficult medical things, whether it's their own or, or people that they're caring for. God, you are making all things new, so please do some of that today. However, however it would be a blessing to anyone who's listening here, God, just bless these people during this time and show us your goodness, show us your glory. So, uh, as, as I said, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Charlie, and I'm an elder here. Uh, Pastor Brian um, is the one who normally preaches, and we have elders preach maybe a half dozen times a year, or a little more than that. And uh, the topic today is on uh, dealing with d disability, and... Pastor Brian asked me uh, to, to do that. For those who don't know me, I'm legally blind. Um, if, is Josiah back here yet? But uh, yeah. So uh, really, be thou my vision. <laughs> First off. <laughs> 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 Look. <laughs> <Like. laughs> I've just been trying not to laugh too loud since that. And so it really caught me off guard. And that, good one. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, then for any of you who do know me, and maybe you haven't seen me in a while, you might be thinking, didn't you move to Duluth? Um, as for like the, I don't know, last year and a half or so, I've been telling people, my wife and I are moving to Duluth. No, we didn't move to Duluth yet. We keep trying. We've been trying for over a year, like actively looking at houses with a realtor for over a year. There are not many houses in Duluth because, well, everybody wants to move to Duluth. Um, you might think, well, couldn't you just find a house? Are you really picky? I mean, we're picky in the way that, that people are normally picky, but then there's also the issue of uh, when you're legally blind you, and you don't drive, it limits where it works well to live. And so it, uh, that really affects it. And uh, yeah, so there just aren't that many locations, and it's not even whole neighborhoods, it's like parts of neighborhoods where this is a good location to be able to get to things and, uh, you know, f feel like the, um, yeah, I feel like I can get to where I need to be in a reasonable way. So that brings us to our sermon topic today. Um, Trinity has been around for 11 or 12 years, depending on how you're counting. And I've preached a couple dozen times at Trinity over the years. And Brian, about a year ago, he brought up to me that he's always wanted to hear me preach on disability. And when he said that to me, my, my first thought was, well, let me tell you the outline first, and then I'll tell you about me. So what we're going to do, uh, after I talk about my disabilities, uh, then I'm going to talk about the origin of disability and the purpose of disability, and then finally, some applications. Um, just so, for those of you who are like, uh, at some point you'll be like, is he ever going to talk about the passage that was read? Yes, I will talk about that passage eventually. 
Um, but since this is a topical sermon, I'm going to kind of be all over the Bible in a number of different passages, and I'm not going to go as in-depth on that passage as we normally would. Normally, we just walk through a passage, go in-depth, um, but yeah, this will be a little different from that. So when Brian told me that uh, he'd love to hear me do a sermon on disability, um, uh, my first thought was, huh? Why? Oh, oh yeah, I have IBS. I guess that's not really a disability, but... And then uh, I, I was like, well, I guess it's sort of a disability. Oh, no, wait, there's, that, there's the other thing. There's the, the, I'm legally blind. And so I really don't think of myself as a person with a disability. And uh, I, what I'm actually going to talk about, like, just share a little bit about myself, and I don't want to... Well, I'm giving a sermon, so first, let's make it about me, you know. Um, so that's not something I would normally do, but um, part of the purpose in sharing this today is to, like, as David did earlier, to share some of the real struggles that we have. And uh, that's so that other people who are struggling can have a sense of fellowship, a sense of not being alone in struggling with medical conditions of various sorts. And so I'm actually going to explain the, the two main medical conditions I have that are hardest for me, even though IBS isn't technically a disability. And let me make it clear, I have more than two problems. But these are the two that significantly lessen my ability to do what most people can do to the point where it affects where I can live and what jobs I can do. These are the ones that like really dig in there and, and affect like pretty much every area of life. Um, before I go into depth on, these, uh, on what I'm dealing with, it's important to note that a lot of people deal with harder stuff. Um, and a lot of people deal with stuff that isn't as hard as what I'm dealing with, but it's still really hard. And I just want to say that the severity of one person's suffering doesn't invalidate the reality of another person's suffering. And so whatever stuff you're dealing with, whatever stuff people in your life are dealing with that's real stuff, that's still real stuff, regardless of what other people are dealing with and if... if if they have something that's, uh, you know, sounds worse. And for those of you who, uh, who are dealing with a level of suffering that I don't know, God does know. And like part of the way I deal with my bad vision and issues I have is getting a little jokey about it. And um, I really apologize to anybody, especially if, like, if you have bad vision and you're listening to this and I get jokey in a way that you don't like. I'm really sorry. That's just the way I have to deal with it, and I, I don't know another way of doing it other than to apologize a little bit up front. So, first issue is that I am legally blind. I'm not totally blind, obviously, since I'm looking at my tablet here. Um, what it's caused by, uh, uh, part of the reason I'm bringing this up is just, just, this way I don't have to explain to anybody later. Um, my vision is at the point where when I'm sitting right there, I could read the lyrics. But if I was two pews back, I could not. So that's the level of vision that I have. Nothing is blurry. 
and glasses don't help. My glasses are sitting over there. I forgot to put them on. It doesn't really matter that much. They keep my eyes from getting as tired as quickly. But my eyeball is shaped correctly. The issue is that I have underdeveloped retinas. And the, um, the core underlining thing is what I have what's called ocular cutaneous albinism, which means that my skin and my eyes do not produce um, much melanin. I have a really weird form of it where it's actually heat sensitive. Uh, Himalayan mice and Siamese cats have this same gene. So that if you think of a Siamese cat, it has the dark ears, the dark tail, the dark paws. Those are the cooler parts of its body where its uh, epidermis is able to produce more melanin. The warmer parts don't, and that's why the rest of a Siamese cat will be lighter. And so that's why I have blonde hair. Um, my parents don't have blonde hair. It's, I mean, I, I do come from Scandinavian genes, but I, I mean, I look more Scandinavian than I actually am. And, and so there, there's a, a number of related issues. So just so you know the way, for any medical people, the, the way that that works out is that uh, the pigment in your eyes is, in your retina is not melanin, it's rhodopsin, I'm aware of that. Uh, but when you are a fetus developing in the womb, you're, uh, you have an eye spot that eventually develops into your eyes. That is dark because of melanin. And so melanin is needed for the retinas to develop properly. Because, of, um, because I was obviously very warm in the womb, there was hardly any melanin there. I came out totally white and uh, with underdeveloped retina. So I have maybe 1% to 4% of the rods, or of the cones that I should have. I have um, more of the rods. For, my night vision is better, is not as bad relative to yours as my daytime vision is relative to yours. Most of you are like, yeah, get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> the main difficulties I've, I have, um, and this is helpful because I'm an elder here, and so j just so you understand my social interactions with you, this is about the only time it'll ever make sense to bring it up in front of everybody. I have trouble learning faces. A lot of people are like, yeah, I'm bad with names, but I'm really good with faces. Not me. Uh, I, I can learn them, but it's tricky. Uh, it takes me longer, and yeah, I, it, it's just harder. I also have difficulty reading, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, my, so my reading speed is very slow, uh, and, and you know, God's done some good things through that. Like my retention is really high, and probably a lot of that has to do with having such a slow reading speed. And I'm not able to drive, as I mentioned. Um, Guys, that's a really hard thing. And for, let me just say, it's getting really hard in our cities. That if you don't drive, and even if you do, it's getting harder and harder to travel around our city safely. Um, with Uber drivers have been carjacked a lot in Minneapolis. That's really messed up. Like, this city needs lots of prayer. These cities need lots of prayer. Uh, and like, I don't feel, because of actual experiences taking the light rail in the middle of the day, I don't feel safe taking the light rail anymore. And I don't have a good way to get to and from work anymore. And I can work from my house, praise God. And so I just work from my house all the time. I don't go into the office anymore, and I really don't need to. But it's not much of an option anymore, and that's really hard. And I'm in a pretty good situation. It, 
helps a lot that I'm married and my wife can drive and so and I can work from home and I have I'm a computer programmer I have two huge monitors in front of me like that the adaptive technology these days is amazing but um, pray for our city pray for those people in our city who don't drive because it, it's getting harder and harder to use public transportation or Ubers. Um, this is a hard time. And so like, there were various questions that the church staff gave me ahead of time where they were like, hey, it'd be helpful if you addressed is this issue. And, and um, I may not get to most of those and I won't do any of them explicitly except this one. One was um, like, what are helpful things we can do? One helpful thing is be aware of people around you who have mobility issues um, and the particular difficulties during the age of COVID and this time of increased crime in our city, um, they, like, we do, really do appreciate help. That's a great way to serve people and honor God. Um, my second issue that I'll mention, and I'm taking longer on this than I meant to, is that I have irritable bowel syndrome. And the reason I bring this up is because um, this one's honestly harder for me. Like, the, the, the other thing, the bad vision, like, I've had it my whole life. I'm used to it. Like, I can get around it, honestly. Being married with that is easier. Um, though there are still challenges. But the one that's really difficult for me now is irritable bowel syndrome, which isn't a disability, um, and a lot of people might not be familiar with it. So IBS, I'll just call it IBS throughout the rest of this. Uh, so what that means is I have frequent episodes of digestive difficulties. Uh, food goes right through me when I have one of these episodes. I had one earlier this morning, and I'm a little shaky right now from it. It messes me up all day. Um, it'll, it, it's a feeling of exhaustion, like after you've thrown up a bunch and your muscles are jello. Um, and this, for quite a while, this was happening to me like just about every day and I was having trouble getting in many hours for work. Um, for me, this is mostly caused by fructose intolerance, um, which is the sugar that, high fructose corn syrup, that sugar. Um, and it's in really random, like there's a bunch in tomato paste. I can't have any like ketchup or red sauce, can't do any of that. Um, oddly, there are quite a few fruits I can have Honey is all fructose. I mean, it's hard to learn this stuff to begin with. And then I, we, we haven't figured out all the things. And so I still have episodes more often. I, I still have them. And the main difficulties with these are the pain, the awkwardness. Like, I had to think of how do I say this in a way where the junior high kids won't giggle too much. Um, and Actually, everybody giggles. But, and, and so there, like, there's just a level of awkwardness and even a level of shame that's, that, that's hard. And um, probably the hardest thing of it is the, the chronic fatigue associated with it. Um, so one significant, significant difficulty that people with IBS often have is that they miss so much work from exhaustion. And uh, so it's kind of similar to chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, if you have IBS, then you know what's causing the chronic fatigue, and so you, it doesn't make sense to get diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome because that's kind of what you get diagnosed with when you don't have another, when you don't have a root cause for the chronic fatigue. Um, 
so mine is somewhat under control, as I said. Um, most days it's fine. Uh, but you know, it's kind of the thing like, well, if, if you're preaching on suffering, something bad's going to happen during the week. If you're preaching on your medical conditions, it's going to flare up right before church, and your, the service is going to have to start five minutes later. And, like, that's awkward, you know? And the reason I bring it up is just so you guys know that, like, people who are dealing with this stuff, there's real levels of, like, often feeling like, oh, there's a burden on the community, like, these people love me, and that stuff is just, it sucks. Like, and yet, I mean, the title of my sermon is The Purpose of Disability. God does work through all this. And I should say, I am at the point now where I, like, I work 80% for work. Um, I do 32 hours a week, and often it takes all five days to get those hours in. But I'm also an elder at my church. I lead a community group. I, I'm a dungeon master for <laughs> true story. Every two weeks, I play with a few friends. And uh, Dungeons and Dragons, for anyone that doesn't know. Um, we got a shout out for Dungeons and Dragons during church. That's great. Uh, so... I want to talk about the origin of disability and then the purpose of disability and then some applications. Let's start at the beginning, Genesis 1. God creates the heaven and the earth. He creates everything, all the stuff in it, all of us. I mean, we, we were later actually, but humans, um, categorically. And he calls it all good. There's no sin, there's no sickness, there's no aging, there's no death, there's no medical conditions, no disability. Adam and Eve have perfect genomes with no negative mutations. And one of my part-time jobs that I've had over the years has been as a computational genomics research software engineer. So I tend to look at the early part of Genesis through the lens of a computational genomics researcher. Um, I also read Genesis literally. Uh, when, I, when I look at the text, I just see it as... Um, I mean, chapter 1, 1 through 2, 3, the seven days of creation, there's reason to think, oh, that might be a poetic framework in there, so it may not literally be seven days, but I'm trying to go with the intent of the author. Um, and my question is just what the t intent of the author is. But once you get to Genesis 2, 4, as I'm reading that, it, like, it just reads like history to me. And so I read that as history and take it quite literally. And when I do that through the, the, like, the lens of what we know about genetics, all of a sudden the Bible makes more sense. And all of a sudden, those numbers work. And I find that it, it's hard to do one without the other, read it, reading it literally and um, reading it knowing some genetics. Uh, so the reason I say that it, it makes more sense that way is because if, if you just read the Bible, taking it at face value, um, nothing is wrong with the world. That means that Adam and Eve have pristine genomes it's a perfectly healthy environment. There's no reason that our bodies would need to deteriorate with age. There's no reason that they would need to be aging. There are actual um, efforts being done by scientists to try to turn off aging in us. Like, that's theoretically possible, and it makes sense that biologically we wouldn't have needed to age in the beginning. But then sin enters the world. 
In Genesis 2, Adam and Eve, they give in to the temptation. They eat the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. And uh, as, as Paul later explains in Romans 5.12, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And so then with sin and death entering the world, along comes aging, disease, but also over the following generations, the accumulation of negative mutations. Most genetic, X-Men isn't real. Most genetic mutations are negative, um, often to, to the point of, um, yeah, but we'll just leave it at that. Most of them are negative um, or neutral. And many are recessive, uh, meaning it's something that's supposed to be produced isn't produced because of this mutation in a gene doesn't really matter because you have two sets of each gene, and so that other gene will produce it. But what happens is after generations and generations, more and more of these negative mutations are showing up till you get to the point where there's just a whole bunch of them out there. But it takes a while for that to accumulate. Um, so there isn't much of a problem early on. Lifespans still extend at times close to a thousand years as we look in the early chapters of Genesis, but then there's the flood and the gene pool shrinks to five people. Noah and his wife, um, they have three sons, but the, Noah and his wife are the source of those genes, and then the three daughters-in-law. So the human gene pool shrunk to five people. All of them had about 10, 11 generations worth of bad mutations that had accumulated in there. And now, all of a sudden, these, a bad mutation is, you know, in one-fifth of the population. That it's a much bigger deal, and you're going to start getting two recessive traits hitting each other, uh, lining up. And so, all of a sudden, this thing that your body's supposed to produce, it's not producing. There are various other kinds of mutations, too. But you, you can see this ends up with, ooh, we're, we're not as healthy. We're, we're not as robust. And so we see this play out as you'd expect with the gene pool shrinking so, drastic, so drastically. Aging speeds up after the flood, but not all at once. It takes, you know, 10 to 13 more generations. To, um, so in Genesis 6-3, God says that going forward, people will only live 120 years. This is right after the flood. But it takes a while to get there. The lifespans slowly decline over the next 13 generations until you get to Joseph. You know, you have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. It, um, is, that's the lineage. And so you get to Joseph dying in Egypt at 110 years old. Um, this spring, a new scientific study showed that the max age a human can live is somewhere between 120 and 150. I was like, well, duh, I know, Genesis 6-3, like that's, that's really old news. Uh, I mentioned that it took until Joseph dying in Egypt before we see the 120 rule in full force, but disability actually creeps onto the scene at least two generations earlier. In Joseph's grandfather, Isaac, uh, we, we see in the story of Jacob and Esau, uh, remember where e Jacob tricks uh, Isaac into thinking that he's Esau. He's able to do that because Isaac has gone blind. From what I can tell, that's the first place where we see uh, disability creeping in in the Bible. And uh, it, it's, it's actually a child taking advantage of his disabled parent. Like, that's really messed up. 
And yet God redeems that, God works through that. And as we go forward in time, and the point of all this is that bad mutations accumulate until we get a blind guy in Jerusalem around 30 AD, and that's what's in John 9. Then skip ahead about 2,000 years to my parents both having a rare mutation that causes my skin and eye cells to produce less melanin when they're above a certain temperature. Um, and that's all because Adam sinned. So at the beginning of John 9, when Jesus and his disciples see a man blind from birth and his disciples ask whether the, man, whether the blind man or his parents sinned so that he was born blind, they weren't totally off base in connecting congenital disability with sin. Their mistake, though, is to connect a specific congenital disability with a specific sin. There's no warrant for that. That's never done in the Bible. The disciples were asking who caused this man to be born blind. Jesus could have answered correctly, Adam did, but that's not where he goes with it. So when you ask the question why, why did this happen? You can answer it in two different ways. You can talk about the cause or you can talk about the purpose. So if I say, why do you have a bump on your head? I'm clearly asking about the cause. You probably didn't give yourself the bump in order to accomplish something. When I ask why are you going to the store, I'm asking about the purpose. What are you going to get? Now, the disciples don't actually ask why. Like, they don't literally say why is he blind, but they, they say, you know, what caused him to go blind. Um, but what they're getting at is, why did he go blind? Um, and rather than focusing on that cause, as the disciples were, Jesus switches it and he focuses on the purpose. So let's look at the rest of John 9 to see the purpose of disability here. So verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, this is Jesus speaking, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. First, do you realize how big of a deal this is? That there's a purpose to this man's blindness. Uh, and, and it's fair to extrapolate this. And, and um, It's fair to extrapolate this that there is a purpose to any disability, any medical condition. God is always working. Now, this is such a big deal because think about how other worldviews handle this. In an Eastern worldview that believes in karma and reincarnation, the man is born blind because of what he did in a previous life. And that's messed up. That's a messed up belief. And I've known, um, I've had some Hindu friends who were very kind and, and gentle and loving people and would never bring up something like this. But underlying in the, the belief system of karma, there is the belief there that this man would be born blind because of what he did in a previous life. And then if we look at it through uh, a Western naturalistic worldview, well, that would tell us that it's no one's fault, but that's about as far as you can go with it. It's just bad luck. Here's some money. And 
Look, when I need to, I'm trying to advocate for people here. So, um, the inability to do some things, um, having an inability to do some things can often make you question your self-worth, like it, it has with me at times, and it can make you feel ashamed, um, and it can take away some of your sense of dignity. Now, if you add to that any, add to that uh, fear of failure, any economic disincentives, and it can just be too much. It, um, it can, you can just be stuck because of it. So I actually know someone who has a different stuff than I do, but um, they receive, they're eligible to receive Social Security for their disability from the government. I actually know a number of people in this situation. Um, I would be eligible, I was eligible at one point, but here's the thing, once you've worked 18 months, once you've received an income for 18 months, you are no longer ever eligible because of that disability. Now, if you have a degree in computer science and you're going to get a job as a computer programmer, there's not a lot of fear there, like it'll probably work itself out and uh, I'll make more money as a computer programmer than I was getting from the government. But I had some really good options in front of me. If you don't, you can be in this situation where if I ever, like, I only have 18 months, and if, if I make a bad income during that time, I'm stuck forever, and I can never go back to the comfort of, of just getting the money. And so there's this huge economic disincentive from going out and working. That's really messed up. Like, our society has all sorts of messed up stuff, all sorts of other messed up stuff, too, but that one makes me angry. Um, so, like, pray that God would change that if you, like, if you're looking for something to, like, hey, I want to look into this and see, like, try to write a letter to somebody to do something, that would be a great one. And I don't know the solution. I'm not an economist, and I'm not going to propose economic stuff in a sermon. That's not the place for it. But I want you to know that this, is, this isn't helping having that disincentive. Um, back to the sermon. Jesus says there's a purpose the man was born blind, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Here's how that plays out. Jesus heals him. Then he gets called before the Pharisees. Um, I'm going to summarize this because I'm... I wrote way too much, and then I cut it down, and it's still too much. I wanted to give, like, five sermons, which... Oh, well. Um, to summarize, uh, it's totally worth reading the rest of John chapter 9 later, but the blind man gets called before the Pharisees or religious leaders of the day who don't like Jesus. And they say, uh, who did this? He said, Jesus did. Um, they're like, is this really the blind guy? Let's get his parents here. Maybe this is a different guy. And they bring in the guy's parents. And the parents say, yes, it's him. He was born blind. And then they ask, well, who healed him? And it says in the text, they, they say, well, we don't know. You'll have to ask him. He's, he's an adult. You can ask him. And uh, it says they did that because they were afraid of the Pharisees because they knew that anybody who was saying 
Jesus was the Messiah that was going to get kicked out of the synagogue, which is like more than getting kicked out of church, it's like getting kicked out of the community. And then they bring him before them, the actual blind man, and he says, uh, whether he is a, uh, they." What they say to him is this, they, they summon the man, this is verse 24, who had been blind. They tell him, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. So what they're saying is, you can either choose Jesus or God. Those are your options. He does the correct thing. He actually gives glory to God by saying that Jesus did it. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. That's it. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stop there. So, what happens here is he, his parents are afraid, but he isn't. He goes up there. He's, and this is often, this is interesting because often people who have dealt with really difficult disabilities, really difficult things of any kind, there's a toughness to them. My wife has worked with a number of children with autism, and uh, she'll, She's told me, like, there, there's just a toughness to the parents. It's, it's a common thing among the parents because they're, they're caregivers. Um, and the, the, there's a toughness to them. And we see that here um, in the blind man. He's not afraid. And he, it, he's not afraid. And he gives glory to God by confessing Jesus as the Messiah. So we see here the purpose of disability is that work, the works of God would be done. Uh, what that work is, is that God would be glorified, that Jesus would be confessed. But let's expand that, expand that statement a little bit by looking at a passage from Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about some great visions that uh, he had seen. Uh, he says he was brought up to the highest heaven and God gave him some visions. Uh, then he continues, starting in verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from, from becoming conceited, you know, becoming conceited because he had seen all these great things of God, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And we don't know exactly what that thorn was, but it was some type of uh, difficult medical condition, from what we can tell. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you're ever praying for God to take stuff away, and he just doesn't, because I've done this, um, okay, I'll keep praying, but also, okay, his power is made perfect in weakness, how can I glorify God for my weakness? Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, 
I delight, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I want to expand what I said about the purpose of disability. I'm going to say the purpose of disability is that God would be glorified through human weakness. So now we get to the applications. If the purpose of disability is that God would be glorified through human weakness, what do we do with that? Where do we go from there? First, um, in terms of whatever disabilities, medical conditions, even other stuff, you can apply this to really any suffering in your life. Um, do what you have to do to internalize that God is working all things for good. Like, really drill that into your head as much as you can. One way to do that it would be to memorize Romans 8.28 and Genesis 50.20, which I didn't write down here because I thought I had them memorized, but I sort of have them memorized. Uh, Romans 8.28 says something along the lines of, for we know that God is working all things for good uh, for those who love him, who he has called according to his purposes. God is working all things for good. Um, like, read the chapter, whole chapter, like study the context, and then, how do we know that? Like, Paul says, we know this. Well, because he's seen it in other places in Scripture. One of the places in Scripture that he would have seen it was Genesis 50, 20. So, in Genesis, in Genesis, the, um, Jacob's family, Jacob has 12 sons. Jacob is also named Israel, and so these become the 12 tribes of Israel. They're basically a mafia family. At one point, they use, the, actually, the covenant sign in order to trick a whole village so they can kill them. It's messed up. They're totally a mafia family. And uh, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery, and all this crazy stuff happens. And through it, eventually, Joseph becomes basically the prime minister of Egypt. And uh, during a famine, and he interprets dreams, so he knows the famine's coming. And so he's able to save all this grain. And then many people are saved through him, including all of his family. Uh, who thought he was dead because they had sold him off into slavery. And so at the end of the book, that after uh, their father dies, the brothers are like, are you going to kill us now? And uh, he says, no, I'm not going to kill you. Um, and the, the part of uh, Genesis 50, 20 that I know is, um, you meant this for evil, God meant this for good. Even through all their sin, uh, all the evil that they had intended, it's genuinely evil. That doesn't make it good. But God, like all the way through, he's like, I can work with that. I can bring about a greater good through that. Which is ultimately what happens at the cross, right? It's ultimately what happens with Jesus. Like the, the, uh, the most innocent person, the most righteous person, a terrible evil is done to him. And God uses it for the salvation of the world. If he can work that, through that, he can work all things for good. Two more applications here. Number two is, if you're someone you know has a disability or a challenging medical condition, look for ways to glorify God through it. It's harder to forget certain spiritual truths when you're dealing with a disability. For instance, the importance of serving others and letting ourselves depend on others. 
if um, there are certain ways where I am unavoidably aware of my weaknesses. If you can see those, I mean, when I'm aware of them, it, it should humble me, right? If you can see those, um, it should remind you, that, let it remind you that we all have weaknesses. Let it remind you of your own weaknesses and let it humble you too. Um, also, uh, when, when you see someone else's weaknesses, see it as an opportunity to serve them, uh, that God can be glorified through that and that people can be healed through that. Another example would be like if you just extend that a little bit, the importance of community. Um, Paul talks about their, um, we are one body of Christ, but we're all different members. Like, the, I'm not the eye, you know? And that's okay. Like, I, I, I can be the mouth right now, comfortable doing that. Like, I've never been scared of public speaking, and I, I, like, I just love studying the Bible. I get more out of my own sermons than other people's sermons, and it's not because I think they're better sermons. It's just because God blesses me a ton through sermon prep and even through the act of preaching. Um, so I can be a mouth, I'll do that. Uh, another example would be, um, it forces us to acknowledge the reality of guilt and shame. Don't waste your guilt and don't waste your shame. Like there's this popular notion that I don't have time to get, really get into, of the, like, oh yeah, we should feel guilty before God, but we should never feel shame. Well, except look at Ezekiel 36. Yeah, Ezekiel 36, in there at some point, uh, like he's talking about, repeat, so he's talking about when he brings the new covenant and he brings about a changed heart, and he says, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I will do this, but for the sake of my name that you have profaned among the nations. Like, for his own glory, and obviously for the good of the people too, but like, f the people haven't earned it. It's for God's own glory, and because he's faithful to his own covenant, like his name is at stake here, that he is going to bring restoration to his people. And here's the kicker. Here, what's the sign of the new covenant? Like, what, what will be the indication? He says, in that day, you will be ashamed at your ways, O house of Israel. It's shocking, and like in Genesis too, like they were naked and unashamed, and then they have shame after the fall. And we're, we're not supposed to get rid of that and all be naked. No, like we're, there's a, a level of intrinsic shame with human nakedness that we should honor. And when I feel ashamed of stuff involving, um, you know, I... Uh, my IBS. Um, when I feel that shame, I didn't do anything wrong there. But it, make, like, it makes shame more real. And like, the way I deal with it is not by saying, well, I didn't do anything wrong. The way I deal with it is by saying, oh, Christ, he bore my shame. Um, he, uh, he endured, uh, it's in Hebrews he endured the cross despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. He bore all of our shame. That's taken care of. In Christ, I have no more shame. I have no more guilt for the stuff that I did wrong or for the stuff that I'm just 
like the, the effects of Adam's sin are on me, you know? And like, don't waste your shame. Whatever you're ashamed of, take it to Jesus. That is an opportunity to like, for him to become bigger in your eyes through a greater knowledge of what he has done for you. And then the last one. Remember that God really does bring perseverance through suffering. This, the worst time to hear this is when you're suffering. So apologies to those of you who are suffering right now. It's often not the best, like, it, it's hard to hear it when you're suffering. Like, you, you want to hear this stuff when you're not so that you're prepared for when it happens. But he really does bring perseverance through suffering. The blind man is the one who stood up to confess Jesus to the Pharisees. Suffering toughens you, and it can toughen you in two ways. It can either harden your heart, or it can thicken your skin and, you know, build your spiritual muscles and your psychological muscles. Um, let it do the latter. Let it toughen you to the glory of God to stand up for the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Um, we need you to take away our guilt. We need you to take away our shame. We need you to do new works of creative grace in us every day. And we need you to uh, allow us to just lay it all down at the foot of the cross and worship you without any baggage without anything weighing us down. So do that now, God. Draw us closer to yourself. Show us your glory. Amen.